Hey. Welcome back to True Crime Shrine, <laughs> the podcast where the planets align again, and three friends chat about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we could fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. And welcome to episode 22. Yay! Yay! Fade into music. Any housekeeping? Welcome. Ireland is our new country on our analytics, so welcome. Please listen to more than one episode. Yeah, yeah. you have the whole country on your back, mystery listener. We get better, I promise. Or worse, and then better? I don't know. Hmm. We're fun. <laughs> Hi, we're That's fun. all we can say. I do just have a little smidge of thing to say about from last week's episode, Meredith's episode about the Velisca axe murder. And I said that I had read a book about a bunch of axe murders in the early 1900s. It's called The Man from the Train. Mm-hmm. I did link it. It's on the website with very moderate recommendations from me. That was the one axe, the Libra of a book. Yeah. So, and I remember it now a little bit more as reading some of the Goodread reviews. I was like, oh yeah, it's like your like drunk 65-year-old white uncle wrote this book and was trying to be funny. It's like really folksy. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> And there's a there's a random part where he like gets he starts yelling at you if you think small towns are boring. So, you know, <laughs> it's a very tepid recommendation, but it does exist. Well, so far I've done two small towns that had pretty horrific murders in them. So I'm gonna say that yeah, they're probably not so boring. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's more of a testament that crazy people are just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Bill James would like our podcast, but Bill James, maybe don't insult the reader. You know. Yeah, well, there's that. Author advice. Also, edit it. It's way too long. It needed to be edited, but. <laughs> just like a stream of consciousness or. Uh, yeah, and every once in a while he tells you the story and it's like, boo do 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 1903, blah, 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 at the very end. But this is not going to be tied in with my theory. And I was like, why did we have a chapter about it then? <laughs> By the way, back to the normal <laughs> scheduled programming. I was like, cool, <laughs> cool. You did a lot of research, and you just wanted to make sure everyone knew you did a lot of research. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, that's all our housekeeping. Sarah's going to tell us a story about Haiti, and maybe I'll have a book recommendation. Who's, maybe. Who knows? I think everyone will <laughs> like this one. I for sure loved it. So I'm actually going to hop on this spooky wagon and continue the theme of creepy things. Toot toot! Woo! Toot toot! <laughs> Um, so my story this week has to do with zombies. Yes! Ooh. Yes! You said you were gonna... Oh, is this Fudon? No. Oh, okay. Who? Voodoo. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. I thought you said, like, a person. Because you cut uh, out said, for a second. I said Voodon, but... Oh, yeah, so, whatever. yes. It is Voodoo, or, like, Voodoo. Cool. So this episode actually is gonna have a lot of my favorite things, actually. I really love folklore and mythology and things like that. There's also some tidbits about raw fish, which I absolutely adore. Oh, yes. (laughs) This is perfect. Some special plants and a grad student that gets to go out on an epic adventure. Okay. You know, it was 106 degrees here today, and so I was kind of glad I I don't do any field work when it's that fucking hot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) 
Imagine yeah. the humidity. Ugh, the oh, humidity. No. Then there's also some of that good old horrendous true crime that goes all the way to the top. Uh, government, that is. All right. Yeah. So, um, and then I'm even drinking a themed beer by accident, ah! Voodoo Ranger, because Kirk happened to pick it out on his way home tonight. They're all so, so delicious. Awesome. I was like, did you know? How did you know? <laughs> Snoop. No, he didn't know. He was like, oh, well, that's serendipitous. So anyway, so to preface, zombies are a big part of Haitian folklore, um, but the known zombie flicks that we think about are not a great representation of these zombies. White Zombie, directed by Victor Halperin in 1932, was the first one to use the term zombie, though the depictions of like animated bodies raising from the ground and preying on the living and eating their brains are really just a far stretch from the folklore origins from where zombies are more their victims um, than an antagonistic monster that's after your brains. So in the 17th and 18th centuries, Haitian folklore included the zombie that did not have an E at the end as a sort of punishment for taking one's own life while being enslaved. Oh, that's fucking rude. Yeah, yeah. So it's rumored in part to dissuade slaves from taking their lives so that they could have their spirits travel through to the afterlife. Which fucking sucks if there is no afterlife, then you just, you get nothing. You get nothing, yeah. So in this case, the soul that is released from the body that was under slavery was no longer their soul, and they could not pass through the normal cycle of death and rebirth, but then would be held captive in sort of a limbo for years and years until their slave owner was dead, essentially, and then they could be freed. Um, And this state of kind of being the walking dead meant that their soul wouldn't be able to return to the African homeland. This is a real deep threads here about slavery. Yes. Yeah. Um, which I wasn't really, like, thinking that there would be, but it, it makes sense now. Um, and I'm not going to go a whole, whole lot more into the slavery part of this, but there's, I mean, there's a lot to be covered in a, a ton of books and stuff about this that I did not have the time to read. So essentially what they're saying then is that they're in kind of a purgatory. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So their soul is not theirs. If they take their own lives while they're enslaved, they they can't go through. And so that's that's one of the origins of a zombie folklore um, in Haiti. But okay. it wasn't all folklore, though, as there's lots of firsthand accounts of zombification by what's called a bookor, or a Haitian voodoo sorcerer. Cool. Okay. So they're said to practice with both hands, like the quote, with both hands. One is for good and one is for evil. Oh, like so like mm. the right and left hand pass of magic. Yes. So while they have knowledge and abilities for things like healing and practices, which make them important members in their small village communities, there is some knowledge that gets passed down that has a much more sinister effect. One of these is the composition and process of making a powdered mixture called a coup de poudre, or um, it's like a, a powdered mixture or known as a powdered strike that's concocted from charred human bones, specific herbs, some animal parts, real witchy cauldron kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And so if a bokor were to administer this powder to you, it said that you it would steal your soul and that your body would work without consciousness to do his bidding until the bokor dies. Mm. Oh. So while I was researching all of this, there was one main story that came to light when I was kind of trying to figure out zombification and what's going on with that. Um, and that's the story of a man named Clairvius Narcisse. So on May 2nd in 1962 in Haiti... Clairvius Narcisse was brought to the Albert Schweitzer Hospital in uh, De Chapelle, again, in, in Haiti. He'd been feeling unwell uh, over the weekend and had been quickly admitted on that Tuesday night when he began spitting up blood. He presented with a high fever, body aches, respiratory difficulty, hypotension, pulmonary edema, 
Not great. He's not doing so well. Like all the things are breaking down. Yeah, just bad, 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 bad. So eventually he succumbs to his ailments and he's pronounced dead and then kept in cold storage for probably less than 48 hours before being buried. And there was no embalming or cremation because it, it again, it goes against the Haitian practices and belief that if a body's not whole, the soul can't pass on to the afterlife. Not sure if they still do this that much there or if embalming has become more common practice, but for whatever reason, he definitely was not and a lot of other people um, in the past have not been cremated or, yeah, cremated or embalmed. Okay. So of the two attending physicians at that hospital that declared him dead, one was an American and then the other, well, they both um, obtained a medical degrees in the States, but one was Haitian-born too. So... He's dead. He's in the ground. Imagine the shock and level of disbelief for his sister, Angelina Narcisse, when he approached her while she was working in the village of Lister in 1980 after having a funeral and a headstone for 18 years. Eight. Yeah. No, dude. He's just like, hey, sis, what's up? Yeah. No big deal. (laughs) Crazy. She said the man had approached her and used his childhood nickname. And that's one that only the family members knew. And he explained to her that he had had memory of the days prior and the day of his death. And he and his brother had been in a dispute over land ownership. And he thinks that his brother had slipped him something on the Sunday prior during some family event. And that made him sick and get progressively worse until he was forced to go to the hospital. So his brother did it? Maybe. I think that's kind of like the idea. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. is he, he remembers like ghostly or is he like tangible? No, he's an actual, like, walking man. Okay. Yep, physically walking around. He's a man in his body. So he remembers being checked in and then looked over and treated, or they're attempting to treat him, but he slipped into a terrifying paralysis. And he stated that he was fully conscious, but he couldn't move. Oh, no. I hate it. Yeah, he felt the doctors pull the sheet over his face, heard them pronounce (gasps) him dead, but he couldn't move or talk, and he was barely breathing. Oh. Oh, God. Yeah. No, 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 no. He remembers being put into the casket. No. Uh, uh, uh. And heard the sound of dirt being piled on top. No. No, 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 no. That is such a nightmare. (laughs) Clairvius had a scar on his right cheek, and he said that that's from a nail that had been driven into the casket after (gasps) he was put in there. I didn't mean to gas so loud, but holy shit, what? Yeah. How big is this nail? And holy cow. Yeah. He said he remembered it felt like he was floating in the grave because he couldn't feel his body. Oh. Uh. And then that night, after the funeral, a group of men, including a Bakor, or voodoo priest, raised him out of the grave and kept him in a catatonic and suggestible hallucinatory state. They beat him with a whip and took him to a sugar uh, plantation in northern Haiti to work as a slave with other zombies. Oh. And there he was kept for years until the slave owner, zombie keeper, was murdered by one of the slaves who had come out of their stupor and wielded a farming tool and beat him to death. And then the zombies were able to escape. Well, serves him right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's was this the uh, the high priest that was murdered? I don't think it was the Bokor. I think it was someone oh. that maybe had purchased them and was keeping them okay. in that state. As I mean, that's like the easiest way to keep somebody when they're not capable of making their own thoughts, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, it is the whole idea behind slavery. Yeah, it's awful. So yeah, he and the other zombies are free, but he didn't immediately return home because he was afraid of his brother, who he had figured out must have been the one to do this to him. And so he waited so until his brother died. Clear? I have a lot of questions. Yes. Did the stupor clear? <laughs> yes. Which I would assume would have been put on by the, the priest, not the owner. Yeah, so part of me thinks that all of this is maintained somehow. 
Yeah, killing the owner doesn't seem like it should lift the stupor off of all the zombies. Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure that the owner wasn't the Bokor. Mm-hmm. That part is kind of a mystery still. Had he aged? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He didn't immediately return home because he was afraid of his brother, and he so he waited for his brother to actually die before going back. And that's when he got in contact with his sister. So upon further investigation, the hospital actually did have documented evidence of his illness and his death. And then when he was questioned about this so-called Clairvius Narcisse and his childhood and family, he answered all the questions correctly that not even a close friend could have really known all the answers to. That's Um, crazy. So it is him. Uh, A forensic examination by Scotland Yard of the fingerprints and his death certificate and the reasonable assumption, um, there was made a reasonable assumption that there was no social or economical incentive to stage a fraud that would last this long. Yeah. Yeah. Did they check the grave? Ooh, that's a good point. I don't think they did. Well, I don't, I didn't find something where they did. Maybe they did. Oh, you know what? I did read something in where they had dug up graves and found that it was full of rocks. Oh, oh, yeah. I don't remember if that was him specifically or if it was someone else that had had that happen. But because there's other documented stories of this. This is just like the biggest one that I found. Okay. So when Clarvius himself was asked who had done this to him, he ended the conversation abruptly with a cryptic remark that he had been judged by the seven laws and that, quote, they are the masters of the country and they do as they please. And he refused to name them out of fear. The seven laws, mm-hmm. L-A-W-S. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So some further digging into Clairvius's background led to some other details on his character, which was why he was so reluctant to return home. He was apparently disreputable and had gotten several women pregnant but abandoned them. But this meant that he had held fewer financial obligations, right, in his mm-hmm. little community than he should have technically had. And so he could afford certain luxuries like upgrading his roof to a tin one, which is probably important for a tropical region where there's lots of rain. Yeah. <laughs> It was also said that he refused to loan even small amounts of money to his family members, which to me personally, that's not that bad. I mean, there are lots of people who don't like lending money to those close to them because arguments over money can destroy relationships, right? So I I don't know. That's maybe that's more of a modern thing, but like it seems reasonable to be like, I don't really want to lend you that money, brother, because I don't know if you're going to spend it or like give it back to me anyway. (laughs) I don't know if I'm ever going to get repaid because you might kill me well (laughs) (laughs) quote unquote so his sister angelina had said that her brothers were always fighting sometimes even physically and then when their parents died clairvius refused to split the land with his siblings as was haitian custom he was the oldest son yeah okay was angela actually was her name angelina Angelina. actually happy to see him or she's like she was not she was like this motherfucker Yeah, he was not welcomed back with open arms. Mm -hmm. So when he mysteriously fell ill and died, no one was really all that upset because the family (laughs) could be at peace again and they all had all the land split evenly for the um, remaining siblings in the family. So this story of uh, Clairvius's reappearance made headlines all over Haiti, of course. And then in 1981, the BBC produced a brief documentary on the case. His story led renowned psychiatric researcher Dr. Nathan Klein and his partner, Dr. Lamarck Duyon, who is a distinguished Haitian psychiatrist, to believe that this case was legitimate and that they were excited over the implications for certain types of, like, anesthesia. So, side note, um, Dr. Nathan Klein, there's now a, a Nathan Klein Institute for Psychiatric Research, and Dr. Klein was responsible for the research and development of tranquilizers and antidepressants for treating lots of psychiatric disorders. Interesting. So, Klein and Duyon had 
pursued this avenue as kind of like a, a strategy for miracle anesthetic option. Because it's like if somebody can be kept in like in that kind of state, but be able to be pulled back out of it, then that's a really, really good idea for being able to, I don't know, do certain surgeries and stuff that requires the person to actually still be awake. I guess mm-hmm. if they're like brains. Because like, you're still conscious, you would still feel everything. Not necessarily. So if you can't feel anything, remember he said that his body was numb. Yeah. But he okay. could still perceive what was happening around him. God, that's one of my worst nightmares. Have you read any of those stories about people who um, had gone to a surgery and go under anesthesia? And, and they're they like, go, no, wait, I'm not actually asleep. They, but they're fucking knocked out. They look like they're knocked out, but they're not. That's I terrifying. I hate it. I, yeah, that's oh, awful. No, thank you. Um, so Klein and Dion pursued this as an anesthetic option, but they couldn't identify the drug. And all the secrecy of the so-called zombies and this Haitian folklore meant that they would need someone to be kind of boots on the ground looking further into it in Haiti. So they did what any other elderly distinguished professors would do. They went and found a young grad student that would do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brother. So Wade, Wade Davis was that grad student. Wait, I hope you got paid. Yeah, you no paid, kidding. <laughs> He'd been pursuing his graduate degree in anthropology and ethnobotany when his advising professor handed him a note with the name and address of Dr. Klein on it. So two days later, he visited Dr. Klein at his home, where Klein and his colleague Heinz Lehmann explained the background and the situation to Wade. They discussed everything from accidental burials. Am I pronouncing that? Burials? It sounds weird. Burials. Burials. To cases of surprise reanimations on the mortuary slab. Surprise! You know, just, yeah. Basic. Just kidding. Basic gotcha. pitfalls of misdiagnosing death. <laughs> so Klein and Lehman explained to him how even a meticulous hospital in Haiti had mispronounced death on this man named Clairvius in 1962. And that Clairvius was currently still walking around in Haiti alive. So they presented Wade with the task of traveling to Haiti to be able to track down an interview and research the voodoo practitioners in Haiti and then try to obtain the recipe for the substance that they use. And of course, any antidotes that might go along with it, um, like those that would be used for resurrecting the zombies. And then to obtain those and return the samples to be tested in a U.S. laboratory so that they can develop them. That's asking hmm. a lot of a, a grad lot. student. That's a really big project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you have to get your somehow get this insulated culture to trust you with their deepest darkest secrets yeah yeah uh, that's a really big way you know, grad just go back adventure. to the lab you'll graduate <laughs> I mean, so sooner he, he already was kind of the adventuring sort um he'd spent time doing these like crazy tours and stuff in south america already so okay. they knew that he was right for the job because he already kind of had that bug in him for travel and immersion into a culture okay so Wade said yes. He traveled to Haiti in 1982 with an envelope of cash and a photograph <laughs> of Clairvius from Dr. Klein. Just a photo of him. That's Just not suspicious at all. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and kind of like a general location to go in search of these people. Have you seen this man? Yeah. yeah. Here's $20. <laughs> How much cash was in said envelope? It doesn't say. <laughs> Maybe we could go into uh, Dr. Klein's bank account from way back when. No. <laughs> oh, my God. He's getting funding from the government. Maybe it's some in the grant. There's not a grant for this. No, there's not a grant. <laughs> this would, I mean, if there were a grant, it wouldn't be a grad student going down there. 
No. They were sent to team. They should have given him a briefcase and not just an envelope. I mean, he probably had actual travel stuff where it was like an actual I hope they gave stuff, him but... the money, though, and he had to bring his own money. I, He's a grad did say student. That, it did say that he was given an envelope of cash and the photograph from Dr. Klein. Okay. okay. Grad student writes is all I have to say. <laughs> okay. So he's in Haiti. He's trying to research events surrounding Clarivius's recounting of his zombification, finding voodoo practitioners. Um, and he did find one. So one of the practitioners was a man named Marcel Pierre, who was actually referred to Wade by the BBC documentarist. So he, he wasn't empty handed. He had some connections and people who could help him figure out where to go. And so these BBC documentarists had actually called Marcel the incarnation of evil. Ooh. Okay. Uh, Marcel was a well-known bacor, and he agreed to meet Wade at his drinking establishment that he owned, the Eagle Bar. Careful, Wade. Careful, Wade. So, for a fee, Pierre made up some of the poison powder concoction for Wade, but he, uh, Wade didn't trust the bacor, stating, quote, I left certain that he knew how to make the zombie po- uh, poison, but I was equally convinced that what he had made me was worthless. Probably correct, Wade. Yeah. yeah. That's some good intuition there. Trust no one, Wade. He had kind of already had a little bit of an idea of what might have been in it just because of, I mean, he was studying ethnobotany and he had an idea of certain things that were capable of inducing like hallucinatory effects and things like that. And he, he saw none of his expected things go, the expected ingredients go into that powder. Okay. But he sent it anyways. He sent it off to be tested by the lab. And turns out, yep, yeah, it was worthless. A couple weeks later, he went back to the bar and confronted Marcel, Marcel and called him out on it and caused a bit of an argument with what he maybe should have recognized was a dangerous man. Uh, yes. Uh-oh. I had a bit of warning here, but okay, Wayne. He's just like, you, you do you. You sold, you sold me something fraudulent. I mean, yeah. So somewhat irritated at this, Marcel procured another jar of powder from the back of his bar and uh, Wade then pretended to open it and take some of the powder and sprinkle it onto his wrist and then Marcel looked horrified and said, he's a dead man. So he's like, Marcel, oh, dude, what the you fuck? just killed yourself. <laughs> no, like Mar- Marcel's not, not threatening him. He's like, no, that you should not have done that. I know, I'm saying what the, the fuck stuff. though, you oh, brought okay. him the jar. Yeah, yeah. So this, I mean, Wade didn't actually do it though, but that was able to convince him that the vial was the real deal. Wade, you got us street smarts and book smarts. Yeah. Um, speaking of street smarts, a massive motor just went by so (laughs) yeah okay um so within a few days wade earned marcel's trust and marcel allowed him to spectate while he made the real concoction the ingredients were something out of a book in like a witch's brew (laughs) including quotes does he have a grimoire uh no it's kind of like just in a courtyard you dig a hole and burn some stuff and bury other stuff anyway so it includes quote two freshly killed lizards the carcass of a large toad hmm. and a puffer fish, all roasted to an oily consistency. Several Ew. plants, the ground tip of a human child tibia, oh, and human bones that were ground until they were charcoaled. Oh. Oh. Tip of a tibia. Is there a pointy end? Like knee side or ankle side? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Of a child, though. Yeah. Yeah. They use children's bones. Okay. I was just bypassing the worst part of this whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> by asking for more details and ignoring the child part. Are pufferfish, like, do they party in Haiti, I guess? I don't know. What's... Are they indigenous? I couldn't think of the word. Yeah, they're, they they occur. They don't have to be imported. 
Oh my god. Okay. Pufferfish party That's in Haiti. The best way to ask okay. if anything's indigenous now. You know, our uh, our alligators, do they party in Africa? <laughs> Saltwater crocodiles do. Oh, alligators. Sorry, my brain my brain sometimes can't find like simple words, so anyways. <laughs> they, they party. Yeah, they party there. Okay. Pufferfish party in Haiti. Pufferfish party. <laughs> So eventually Wade was able to connect with, earn the trust of, and obtain recipes and samples from lots of other Bokor during his time in Haiti. And the one thing that they all had in common was pufferfish, which oh, contains tetrodotoxin. <gasps> yeah. So this is one of the most toxic substances known in nature. It's not just limited to pufferfish, but it's in like blue ring octopus and a bunch of other things. Triggerfish too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't remember all the other names of things, but um, so... Isn't it killing frogs or something? Tetrodotoxin. Never mind. Let's not worry about it. I mean, there's bufotoxin from toads. Let's not worry Um, about it. Okay. Okay. Don't worry about frogs. Maybe it is in (laughs) poison dart frogs. That's a good... Yeah. I'll have to look that up. So he was saying, essentially, Wade said that the genius of the sorcerers is in using the exact dosage that will paralyze but not kill. Right? Because a dead, dead zombie is not going to do anything. (laughs) Yeah. They're not going to be gardening for you. Yeah. They could be in your garden, if we've learned anything. Yeah. Yes. Murder garden. Dorothea style. <laughs> Fertilizer. Okay, I would really like to take a second, though, to nerd out about tetrodotoxin, because yay science. Yes, do it. So, tetrodotoxin is a reversible, potent, selective, and high-affinity inhibitor of voltage-gated sodium channels. So that means that, like, the main thing it's going to go after are your nervous system cells, your neurons. And it's going to block those sodium channels, meaning that the cell membranes of those neurons can't carry any action potential. So they can't fire off signals to one another. Okay. So this is what stops your nervous system from being able to carry a signal from your brain to your muscles and vice versa. So you are essentially paralyzed. How does thought happen? That's, I mean, that's the crazy thing is like at certain concentrations, your body can be affected, but your brain can still keep going a little bit. Still can do a little bit of the synapsing. Yeah. Weird. Here's the raw fish bit, right? If you eat fugu, which is actually a delicacy, you can be exposed to tetrodotoxin. And that's part of like the supposed enjoyment of fugu is that your mouth becomes kind of numb if it's prepared correctly. And you're not actually getting like a lethal dose of it. And you don't just kill over and die. Yeah. But that seems like not what I want when I'm eating food for my, my mouth to go numb. I mean, it's kind of like a Szechuan peppercorn where it actually does cause some people's mouths to be, to like go through... A process like where it actually feels numb too. Like it's so spicy that it tingles. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Never gotten to that point. I'm a limp. <laughs> I'm just going to put this out here. Ice cream does not do that to you. Okay? <laughs> Ice cream. Well, it, it's cold enough. It gives you brain freeze. Yeah. Okay. All food is dangerous. Yeah. If you choke on it. <laughs> if you choke, everyone. Just go choke on it. <laughs> fugu. Fugu. So if you eat fugu, and you're exposed to too much tetrodotoxin, it'll induce paresthesia or numbness of the lips and tongue, and then that's followed by numbness in the extremities and hypersalivation, sweating, headache, weakness, lethargy, loss of coordination, tremor, paralysis, vomiting, blowing of the lips, seizures. Wow. And then at higher doses, there's increasing respiratory distress, hypotension, full paralysis, and cardiac arrhythmia. And then if you have way, way too much, you'll become, of course, completely paralyzed and you'll still be conscious and in some cases completely lucid until shortly before death, which generally can occur 
between four and six hours after you eat it. So these shaman, I remember, have to like give a dose at such a specific amount that the person goes completely paralyzed and all the body functions have been lowered to the point where they look dead, but the heart still has to keep beating a little bit and the lungs mm-hmm. still have to keep working a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's it's a just so tight slowed rope. down. Yeah. So, it, I mean, the tetrodotoxin from the pufferfish is not the only ingredient in all of this. Um, remember, there is also the bufotoxin from like the toad, supposedly, too. Okay. Because there's a toad in- included in that in that cauldron (laughs) and it's all getting heated so in theory some of it might you know be diminished too but so some victims do enter a coma and aren't like killed they'll just enter a coma so yeah so the super secret sorcerer mixture contains this stuff and then once it's been made the powder can then be administered to a chosen victim usually topically okay and the, the way to do it is by sprinkling it in, like, a special pattern on their doorstep or inside their shoes or down the back of their shirt. Hmm. <laughs> down the back of their shirt? Yeah. So just, like, they're sitting down and you just go... That's Ping. creepy. Yeah, it's really creepy. <laughs> so the victim then becomes immobile and has an incredibly faint heartbeat and his or her breathing is drastically, drastically reduced within a few minutes so that the victim appears dead. And it says, like, within a few minutes, but, like... It's really, it could be hours or days, as we've seen. Yeah, it took uh, that guy days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while in this death-resembling state, the victim is fully aware of their surroundings but can't express themselves. And then once taken to the hospital and declared dead by a doctor, the seemingly lifeless body is buried in a grave. And then historically, this has been pretty soon after death mm-hmm. because the heat and lack of refrigeration options in Haiti generally makes the bodies decay very rapidly. So they want to get rid of the body as soon as possible. I'm just like, how low does the heartbeat have to be and the breathing have to be that right? the doctors determining death determine it to be a death? Right. That's bonkers. Yeah, they're using like a mirror just to see <laughs> if there's like fog. Did they really check? They were just pinching their toes. I mean, that was the point of, like, this article stating that they were both um, American. They had both obtained their MDs from America, from the the States. Yeah. So, like, it's not like they're in it, too, that they have something to gain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sure, but still, like, I don't know. When I was pregnant with my daughter, I would use a, a stethoscope to listen to her heartbeat. I could hear hers even when she was really little, right? So, I don't know. That's like two heartbeats, right? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how quick or how crazy the arrhythmia is. I mean, it could have slowed down to the point where, like, you listen for five seconds and you're still not hearing a heartbeat kind of thing. I don't know. Interesting. Like, really, really suspended animation. But at that point, too, you would think the blood's not flowing. You're going to have tissue death at the extremities. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how long before he was just sitting there before he was rescued rescued from the grave, either. Right. I mean, it was that it was that night after at least a day in cold storage too. Well, doesn't cold temperatures also kind of preserve you mm-hmm. as well too? So maybe that like aided in his survival. But I want to go in the other direction with the cauldron full of toads. Heat denatures protein so that they're not functional anymore. I mean, I don't know if they were like heated, heated, or if they were just dried. It, it doesn't go into the specifics of the preparation of it. So many questions. I know <laughs> it's not like it's being it's not like it's being boiled. Different different components of this powder are being ground up and added at different ratios and things like that that aren't actually listed. Like, there's no real recipe here. Oh, he didn't write the recipe down. N- no. 
Cool, cool. No cool. food pairing this week. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go eat a toad. No. I guess our food pairing should just be raw fish. Go get a poke bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably not going to go for poke very much anymore because they've been really cheaping out on the oh. quantities and the quality. So I'm actually going to be going for raw raw fish from Sunfish in Sacramento. But raw 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 raw. Okay. I think we're ready for some witchy shit. It gets a little bit woo-woo in here. Yay! Woo! I'll stop asking these questions. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> the traditional sense that, that Wade was able to actually get word-wise from the Bacor that he had interviewed is that after the body's buried, the Bacor will enter the grave and dig up the body. And this happens within 12 hours of the burial because otherwise the victim will die of asphyxiation. Right, because yeah. so even though they're breathing super slowly, they will eventually need more oxygen. And then next, the Bakor will perform an ancient voodoo rite where he or she captures the victim's tibonage, which is the part of the soul that's directly connected to the individual. And so this causes a split in the spiritual parts of the victim and produces two complementary zombie forms. The spirit zombie, the zombie of the tibonage alone, and the zombie cadav, which is the zombie of the flesh. And so this is the body that is unable to act on its own. Interesting. So he then traps the spirit zombie, Tibonage, part of the soul in a small clay jar or some other commonplace container. And that container is then hidden in a secret place that only the Bokor knows about and is wrapped in a piece of the victim's clothing. Huh. Not sus. No. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) "Hmm, what's this jar wrapped in a shirt? Why is that my brother's shirt? Yeah. And why are there 500 of them on the shelf? <laughs> oh my gosh. What is your decor? Who's your interior decorator? Yeah. Kind of creepy. <laughs> creepy. Ugh. So after a day or two, the Bacor then will administer a hall- hallucinogenic mixture called the zombie's cucumber that revives the victim. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love it. I do love cucumbers too. Oh my god, I just can't with that. Okay. It revives the victim and is used to keep the zombie in a state of submissive confusion. So there actually is a zombie's cucumber, and it's a toxic and hallucinogenic plant called datura. And they're not technically cucumbers, like in the cucurbitaceae family. Um, they're in the solanaceae family, like nightshades. Oh, But, like, you can cut them and put them on your salad or something? No. Nope. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so these have a fruit that resembles kind of what a wild cucumber looks like, um, which is basically like a giant burr. They've got these massive spines across the entire surface of the of the fruit. And there are three species of datura that exist in Haiti, and they're thought to have been brought over by s- as seeds from slaves um, when they're brought over from Africa. Hmm. Yeah, you don't want to eat this kind of cucumber. It's it's mostly toxic. I wasn't saying for myself. I was saying for my my zombie slave army. Would I feed oh, them right, salad right. with this on it? Yes, absolutely. So that was my idea uh, or my thought process was that they're keeping people in this zombie state where they're highly suggestible because of the ready, readily available zombie cucumber. I mean, it grows crazy and you can just hmm. like pluck a fruit, grind it up and put it into whatever and make the zombie eat it. And then they're good to go for another couple of days, you know, kind of thing. So nightshade family, crazy stuff. So Wade discovered that the actual mixture was of the Bokor's so-called uh, cucumber for the zombies is a paste consisting of potato, cane syrup, and datura. So they're being fed this mixture. Hmm. And so I thought it was like potato and cane syrup for just pure energy. Yeah. And then the datura to keep them under that state. Sounds like a really bad potato pancake. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So 
The psychotropic, psychotropic plant serves two specific functions. And the first is that Datura stramonium specifically contains the chemical atropine, which can act as an antidote to tetrodotoxin. And then that would cause all the effects of paralysis to dissipate so that you're kind of like lifted out of that tetrodotoxin problem. Do you know how long the tetrodotoxin like lasts? Uh, ooh, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I wish I knew that. So the other part of this is that while the tetrodotoxin was acting on the victim's physiology, the datura, because it's psychoactive, will activate their like psychosis. And that Mm. way they can't think for themselves and they're stuck in like a crazy trip immediately after their apparent resurrection. So they don't know where they are, who they are, what they are. They're just like, yeah. Super confused. Yeah. So body's been awakened, mind's been altered to such a degree that the person is not themselves, they can't speak, they can't access any memories, they have no personality, and they're highly suggestible. So the zombie is kept there in that torpid state during their slavery to the Bokor. Also included in Haitian folklore is this fact that zombies, giving a zombie salt is like, if you're a Bokor, don't give your zombie salt, ever. And that's thought to give them their senses back and restore their personality. Ah, flavorless potato mush is right. what you're giving them. <laughs> Flavorless. Well, there's there's sugar to it, though, right? Yeah. The cane syrup. But no margaritas. No. <laughs> no salted rim on your margarita. All right. No fun. No party. <laughs> so Bokors need to know not to give their zombies salt because, I mean, maybe that has something to do with altering the sodium concentrations so that the sodium channels can start working again. But it seems like that would be a lot of salt. Yeah. Yeah. So don't hang a salt lick out in your <laughs> field. Yeah. Just, yeah. (laughs) Noted. So there had existed a legal document that Wade had read detailing Article 249 of the Haitian Penal Code, which specifically prohibited the use of zombie powder to produce a near-death-like state, and stipulated that if such a victim was buried, that the crime would be classified as a murder. Okay. Oh, even if they got uh, rescued before they were dead? It would be classified as a murder. Interesting. So in theory, technically, his brother should have been tried, but I mean, nobody was that upset. So and nobody could prove it. They all well, they can't really dead. prove it. It was his brother either. Yeah, yeah. But his his brother was dead by the time he came back into society too. He wandered the countryside, oh, afraid yeah. to come back until his brother was gone. So and then later, Wade befriended a knowledgeable Haitian man who provided him with a vital clue to who had been practicing zombification um, in the area. And this is quote. In the belly of the nation, there's something else going on. Clairvius Narcisse was not made a zombie by some random criminal act. He told you that he was judged. He spoke about the masters of the land. Here he did not lie. They exist. And these are the ones that you must seek, for your answers will only be found in the councils of the secret society. What the fuck, Wade? Wade! (laughs) So Wade's like, oh man. (laughs) Maybe it's time to go home, Wade. I put nah. Wade's zodiac sign is here. Oh man, I don't know that. <laughs> he has a sense of adventure and like zero sense of I'm in danger. <laughs> He's gotta be a Sagittarius. <laughs> yeah, charming too, enough to get these people on your side. Mm-hmm. So in the three weeks um, since he received the zombie powder from Marcel and it had been tested and stuff. Wade then learned that Marcel was What does that mean, a... tested? Like, they just tested the like components? Like, he sent it back to the States and they looked at the components and found out what the, um, the active ingredients and stuff were, I guess. So they didn't, like, puff it into a mouse's face or something. <laughs> they don't know if it actually works. I mean, they treated it as if it were, like, an incredibly toxic substance. 
So it was said, too, that while the Bacors are making this, that they wear cotton nose plugs so that they don't accidentally inhale it. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. that be a bitch? <laughs> I know, right? Karma. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Wade learned that Marcel was a member of the Tonton Makut, which is a militia that swore allegiance to the Haitian dictator Francois Papadoc. Papadoc, in quotes. <laughs> Uh, Duvalier and his son and successor Jean-Claude Baby Doc Duvalier. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Why did they have cute nicknames? <laughs> so the Tonton Makut uh, were named after a cannibalistic Haitian boogeyman, and the group had killed between 30 to 60,000 Haitians <gasps> and raped countless others. Oh, my Jesus. God. So just really reaping havoc on yeah, this Yeah, Marcel, you really are an country. ass. Yeah. Evil incarnate, right? Yep. That's what the yeah. BBC called him. Mm-hmm. So Marcel had used his position of power in the organization to co- coerce Bacor, like true Bacor, into revealing their secrets to him. Mm. And so when they complied, he did get their secrets and knew how to make this stuff. But then he was subsequently poisoned himself, which he survived. But it was with horrible scarring. So he had really bad scars all across his face. He was poisoned by the other Bacors? Uh-huh. Oh, Okay. So he used his place of power to yeah. to mm-hmm. kind of force them into telling them telling him their secrets. Good on them. Yeah. Yeah. He should have seen that coming. I know. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? So recalling Clairvius Narcisse's references to being judged by the masters of the land, Wade learned through another one of his contacts about secret societies called Bazangos. Oh. Not to be confused with Bazangas. <laughs> Bazinga. <laughs> Anywho. sorry these are societal structures put in place to conduct voodoo rites so although a lot of the village communities swore that the bizongo were evil and cannibalized children it's kind of like one of those another one of those boogeyman tales wade insisted that he wanted to intend one of their gatherings and so his wish was finally granted and to his surprise he was treated kindly and shown a display of pageantry with hypnotic drumming and dancing and chanting at this like party not a pufferfish party, though. Okay. <laughs> party. <laughs> and then right before Wade left Haiti, he was introduced to Jean-Jacques Leofin, a Bazongo president. And Leofin explained to him that the Bazongo were forged by Makala nations in Africa long before they were ever encountered by, like, Europeans. Mm-hmm. And this was created in order to keep order in the community. So anyone who belonged to a Bazongo fell under its protection and their families and everyone involved. And so that effectively effectively meant that the Bazongo washed over everyone in that community. They worked through methods of punishing those who didn't uphold community values. And then the community members would identify troublemakers and they'd be brought before the Bazongo, I don't know, president and like worker people that were part of it to be judged for violating the seven actions. Do we know what those are? Yes. Yay! No. <laughs> I was just going to say, so it's kind of like a mafia Kind of, yeah. It's like, you don't do this. You don't do these things, and you're going to be fine. These are the rules. Yep. We are, <laughs> we offer protection, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We will take care of those that aren't following the rules. Okay. Yeah, so it's kind of an ancient cultural societal like structure. Okay. And so if, if this troublemaker or someone that was brought before the um, Bazongo were found to be guilty after their trial, they, it would result in their subsequent death and resurrection as a zombie. And so that way, they were forced to be a contributing member of the community. Oh, wicked. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you're not doing so well on your own? Here, we'll help you out. (laughs) I kind of love it. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I found this out and I was just like mind blown. So Leofin explained that the seven actions were one, material greed at the expense of one's own family independence. Check. Hey, all those children you're not supporting. Mm-hmm. And the people that you're not lending stuff to and helping out. I'm more concerned about those kids. Yeah. Yeah. Two, showing disrespect to one's fellow man. Abandoning your children. (laughs) Yeah. Three, speaking ill of the bizongo. Okay, fair. (laughs) Four, taking another man's wife. Okay. Five, gossiping and defaming the character of others. No, I love to gossip. (laughs) (laughs) But not to defame. Just to to talk. (laughs) Uh, Six, hurting one's own family. Okay. And seven, unjustly preventing another person from working the land. Oh, keeping the land to himself. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So now it all comes together and Wade understands why Clairvius Narcisse and others that were included in these stories have been made into zombies. It makes sense now. Mm-hmm. He was tried by his own culture. Okay. That's why he didn't want to talk about it either. So to quote the book Behind the Horror, which is a book that I actually purchased so that I could read these parts, basically, and like get a little bit more detail out of these stories that I wasn't able to get just online. There's this statement that touches the surface and intricacies of Haiti and its government at the time. Quote, Far from being an underground criminal enterprise at odds with the state, the Bizongo and Papa Doc Baby Doc Duvalier dictatorship relied on each other. In fact, the official government of Haiti needed the Bizongo support far more than the Bizongo needed theirs. Mm-hmm. Imagine what would happen if some invaders landed in some remote corner of Haiti's Department of the Northwest, Leofin mused. They would be dead before they left the beaches. Not by the hand of the government. It is the country itself that has been prepared for such things since ancient times. The people in the government in Port-au-Prince must cooperate with us. We were here before them, and if we didn't want them, they wouldn't be where they are. Wow. Yeah. There are not many guns in the country, but those there are, we have them. Also, we don't need them. Mm-hmm. That's like mic drop right there. I know. Damn. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So this trip to Haiti led to Wade's publication of The Serpent in the Rainbow, which details his research into voodoo and toxicology in Haiti. Is this a book or is this a, a paper? It's a book. Okay. All right, Wade. Good job, Wade. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, well, what else is zombie? And there's so many zombie things out there. But uh, the first one that comes to mind, actually, I, I mean, I love the song Zombie by the Cranberries. <laughs> not not about this at all. It's about the, the troubles in Ireland. So mm-hmm. we were saying, welcome, Ireland. Thanks for listening. Oh, no. Oh, there's your shout out. <laughs> <laughs> ah, hello. <laughs> I do love that song. It is a good song. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's pretty much what I got. Awesome. That's bonkers. Yeah. I love it. I still have so many questions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's just crazy pants. Like, did he deserve it? Kinda, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's still crazy, though. But the method, yeah. I'm still sitting a little bit on the did it happen? Yes, it happened. And there are, I mean, there's like documentation of it. And then there's other stories, too, that were included in like alongside this one when I first came across it. So there's several of them in like the 60s and 70s that had occurred. Interesting. For example, in 1979, a woman named Nadagete Joseph was recognized by a police officer who actually pronounced her dead because there wasn't a doctor to do so. And she was just wandering around in her home village. She had allegedly died 13 years prior over a land dispute. Mm. Oh. 
And then when she was around 60 years old, she had returned to her village kind of as a zombie because she was still wandering around. Mm-hmm. And the police officer was like, what? <laughs> Hold on. One second. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> the fuck? There was another case in 1979 when a younger woman named Francina was found in a catatonic state by her girlfriend. Francina was supposedly buried in 1976, so three years prior, after her jealous husband had killed her. Mm. And there were two features in this case that, like, really stood out to them. And one was that Francina's mother recognized her by a childhood scar on her temple. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, this is her, even though she was supposedly dead. And then the other... Oh, here's another example. Her grave was actually... This was one of the cases in which oh, the coffin was filled with yeah. rocks. Okay. Oh, that's so fucking weird. Yeah. Crazy pants. So there's there's stories like this out there that's, that exist that aren't just Claire Vias's, like lots of other cases of this but again nobody wants to talk about it because it goes way way back and deeper into their like secret society structure and stuff like that so it's like fight club yeah like who are you gonna tell because they're just gonna take take them out it doesn't matter i guess wade i don't know why they would tell wade though i wouldn't tell wade who the fuck is wade coming in here i mean he's just like there to learn stuff i guess i don't know i'm just surprised that wade survived his trip Honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he pissed off Marcel. Yeah. But then it sounds like he befriended him, so... Yeah. Oh, we need to find out what Wade is. Yeah, what his his astrological sign is. Wade... Because, man, Davis. What was his last name? He just fucking Davis. goes for it. He, um... He's now a professor. Oh, where? I think in... He's a Canadian cultural anthropologist, ethnobotanist, author, and photographer. Do, do, do... Oh my gosh. <laughs> what? Born's December 14th, 1953. Oh my god, he's sag. He's Sagittarius. He's a Sagittarius. He's a Sagittarius. <laughs> we called it, you Holy guys. Holy shit. Ah, <laughs> oh, wow. Good job, us. <laughs> so yeah, he was a grad student at Harvard at the time. Harvard. Harvard. <laughs> I think now he's still a professor at Canada? Career. Do, do, do. Yeah, I really should have had this info too. I can't believe he's a sag. And he's the same birthday as my brother. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> now he has Colombian nationality and citizenship. Okay. Because you of all his travels. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, cool. He is technically a Sagittarius. I like that that information that he has Colombian nationality is available, but not where he works. I mean, like, he's a Canadian. Something or other. Yeah. All right. Cool. Oh, University of British Columbia. Ah. Okay. Let me see. Well, we fucking nailed it. On this astrology part. Yeah, you did. Yay! All right, here's a little bit more astrology. Yes. So, starting on September 14th, Mars is in Libra. It's just it's just a Libra clusterfuck. Cool. <laughs> um, so, remember how Mars is how we strategize and attack our problems and go about things that we encounter on our day-to-day. But Libra is so wishy-washy, you say. <laughs> I do. <laughs> we do. Um, we tend to use our charm as a means to an end under this influence. And because we're going to see a lot of different sides and kind of be on the fence for them, we have to like pay attention on how indecisive you're going to be when you make these actions. And not necessarily a bad thing because remember retrograde and all, mm-hmm. but we like if you're trying so hard not to be the bad guy that you aren't any guy, then that's not good. Don't zombify yourself. <laughs> Don't zombify yeah. yourself. Yeah. Make a choice. Be an actionable person. All my complaints about Libra. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
So you can, during this time, um, have a propensity to win your arguments with style, but do try to keep like tactful and be direct in your approach, or a little bit more direct in your approach, because the shadow side of the Libra in uh, or Mars in Libra is that you can be too passive aggressive, or you can let your wishy-washiness cause all of your decisions to pass you by and then not do anything. So be aware of those energies, try and counteract them, channel a little bit maybe more earthy or fire than just the Libra. <laughs> yeah, throw some fire in there. That'll fix it. <laughs> While you're throwing fire in there, you can also fire off an email Boom. or some sort of contact <laughs> to us. We would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And definitely check out our website, www.truecrimetrine.com. And to close it off, listening to a listener's suggestion, she wanted variety in the in quotes. And so (laughs) before we did this episode, I decided that I would do Arthur C. Clarke's quote, who was the science fiction author. He helped write 2001, A Space Odyssey. And so I swear I didn't see this. I I didn't know this beforehand, but his quote is as follows. I don't believe in astrology. I'm a a Sagittarius and we're skeptical. (laughs) So let's wrap it up with Sag. That's a a great energy. I don't believe in it because I'm a Sagittarius. And I'm skeptical. I'm like, oh, yeah, you do believe in it then. Good job, Arthur. Double Sag. and uh, That's really cute. It was super cute. The request to have variety came from a Sagittarius as well. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Okay, triple sag energy. Triple sag. All right. Feel All that. Right. Boom. We haven't had a boom in a we while. We haven't boomed. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.